direct from the edge of the lunatic fringe, it's the Raleigh James Show. spend the next hour and a half with you, and I hope you'll keep me company as well. 888-876-5593, 888-R-O-L-L-Y-E. You're going to meet Louis Gravance. Service is a superpower. Lessons learned in a magic kingdom. That's the book, and it's a great read. And uh, I uh, I was captured by the time I found out that, yeah, and then after, after a whole load of commercials, uh, as a youngster, pretty much, he winds up as a waiter. And makes the most of it. So it's no surprise that service is something he is intimately familiar with and something that's sadly lacking today in America, probably the world. But I think uh, customer disservice stories are, uh, are rampant. So we'll be talking about that. And if you want to join us, 888-876-5593, 888-R-O-L-L-Y-E. And as I say, that'll be till, uh, till 10 tonight with me, Raleigh James, right here on WGN Radio. And when it did, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's Cicero Blake's Sad Feeling. It's the identical track. And, uh, of course, Sad Feeling was out in 1965 on Marvelous. But then here comes Sounds of Dawn with how many times on twin stacks. Of course, neither of them charted. And I tried to figure out what was going on. And I know there's a story here. I know Leo Ostell is at the heart of it somewhere. But amazingly the writer's credits are different on both of those singles but either way both of them are great chicago soul singles from the 60s so yeah how many times all right so uh are you hot yeah where you are i bet you you're not nearly as hot as say orlando in the middle of summer if if orlando is not the humidity capital of the world it's it's very close and Louis, Louis Gravance, who wrote Service is a Superpower, I, I gasped when I got to the part in Service is a Superpower that you moved from California to Orlando and were assigned to be an outdoor performer at Disneyland. And not only that, but you did it for a while. How did you survive? I did it for years. I started as a singing mortician outside of the Haunted Mansion <laughs> to entertain <laughs> to entertain that. guests. And then... Then I became a singing cab driver in Florida, and then I became the mayor of Hollywood before I became uh, in charge of training new hires uh, at the Walt Disney World Resort. Um, but yeah, I worked outside in a in a wool suit, in a three piece wool oh. suit with spats for oh. years. Literally, other than it being uh, your own sauna, it had to be a weight loss plan. How how did you? Well, you were you were young, I, I take it, but most people would have keeled over. 
You know, we made a pact with each other early on in the summer to never talk about how hot it was. That nobody was allowed to go, oh, it's hot, Uh until September 1st. Uh And then September 1st, (laughs) you could just let her rip with how disgusted you were. But we made a pact. Through the summer, there was no point in talking about how hot it was. You just sort of bucked up, you know? Oh, and it is hot. And September 1st, it's still hot. In fact, I would oh, argue... No. Oh, yeah, you still got a couple of months. Yeah. But still, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's... A, now, it was also interesting that when you uh, when you donned this uniform in the heat in the middle of summer, uh, there were actually people working for Disney that didn't understand who you were or what you were doing there? Yeah, well, see, the first day that I went out, and, and nobody had told the folks at the Haunted Mansion that they had hired an entertainer <laughs> for the crowd. And so I go out, I'm all proud, you know, and I march out there, and I'm on this fancy outfit, and I hop up on the wall they've told me to stand on, and I start singing the song from the ride. And about 20 seconds later, these security guys show up and they haul me off <laughs> backstage and I go, who are you and what are you? And it took a few minutes <laughs> for somebody to show up and explain that I just wasn't some wild guest that had decided to, to jump into the show. That's and the then, and then the funny thing is, I go out a few minutes later to do this. I shook up from that to do the second, and I'm all in this top hat, you know, and tails. And I think, okay, now I won't be done, and I'm going to go out and do my second show. And I walk out. And I see this father and a little girl, and the father goes, Look, honey, you know who that is. You know Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> That's and a- I didn't have the heart no, of course not. to say no. no. So I go, Well, sir, nice to have you. <laughs> 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 That that's just classic. I love it. Now I I will admit I've I've listened to some of your podcasts too, and there was one of them where you were saying that that sometimes telling stories is better than just uh, kind of relaying the rules and the policies. And you said like the story about the woman who fell down. And I have a feeling this is a great story, but I don't know what it is. So tell me about this. Oh yes. Yeah. You know, I think, and, you know, I've been a speaker about these things for years, and I travel and I talk about, you know, creating service cultures, and I have found that a better way to, rather than show a graph or talk about how great you were, I talk about times when I knew the Disney principles and I just messed up. Like the time I made somebody cry when I I was dressed as the Christmas sparkle elf, or the time, like you you mentioned, that uh, this sweet older lady, like by older I mean deep into her 80s, I believe, in really, really high, high shoes and all dressed up, and she decides she wants to walk across the street while hundreds of people, right after they open the park, and hundreds of people are racing to Space Mountain, and she, she starts to cross the street, and like somebody crossing a freeway, and she's walking slow, slow on these high heels, and she makes it to the curb, but she doesn't negotiate the curb because of the heels, and she she slowly tips over like a little Christmas tree. <laughs> and now I want you to know I'm not cruel. She was not hurt, but like a kid, she was embarrassed, so she starts to go, and get louder and louder, and like an idiot, we didn't know what to do. And um, so pretty soon, everybody that's racing to Space Mountain stops to look at this poor little old lady <laughs> and she's going, I don't know what's happening. And so like an idiot, I run to this woman. And she, I can't seem to calm her down. And the crowd is watching and everybody's taking pictures. And finally, I lose it and go, all right, everybody, knock it off. It's not that bad, okay? <laughs> and this lady looks and there was, you could hear a pin drop. You know, just the most... That worst thing I could have done. But you know what? I realized something. There's a big difference between staying calm and acting calm. You know, in, a, in an emergency situation, just like there's a big difference between acting like you love every customer that you have and loving them. You know, sometimes we have to utilize a performance technique. Sometimes a doctor, when they see us without our clothes, they have to pretend not to be grossed out because that's what doc, that's called, that, that's called a bedside manner. They are calm with us when we're sick. That's a, they're acting for us and that goes on in every business. 
Well, of course it does. Uh, unfortunately, lately, not to a great degree. But that was another great story in the book where someone actually quit when you talked to them about it. He said, I just don't want to be nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I used to write, I t- wrote training programs for banks, and so I shouldn't name the bank. So I um, I wrote one for a very large comp- a company, and the guy says, I, you know, I'm going to leave. You're a real nice guy, but I'm going to leave. I'm going to this other company. And I go, well, how come? And he goes, you know what? I don't want to be nice. <laughs> I've, I've been a banker for years, and I've known how to make money without being nice, and I just don't want to do it. And so he went to another big bank that I won't name. Well, and, you know, kudos to him for actually saying it. But that was something else that came out, that the the Disney University, if you will, the training, is Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. over the top that it weeds out the people who are going to say, I'm not on board with this. You know, we weed it, I should say we, they weed them out earlier because if you go to the casting center that's open every day of the week of the year, even if they could take you as an applicant immediately, you're going to look at this video. And in this video, some Yahoo like me or any various demographic is going to show up in mouse ears going, Hi, welcome to the most magical place on earth where you'll be creating magical memories that will last a lifetime. And there are people that look at that and go, Oh, heck no. Oh, no, no, no. I I don't have that. And no. And they're out the door. They see that, you know, that Disneyfied smile and and they go, Yeah, no, this isn't a fit. Yeah, I would I would be right in line with them. I can't even imagine this. But you, Louie, you kind of came to this almost genetically, like Disney was your life from early on. Now, what was your introduction? My grandparents all owned a restaurant that was closed on Sunday nights, and it was the first color TV in town. I lived in a little town. And we'd go, and every Sunday night, it was Walt Disney, and he'd talk about building Disneyland. And wow, I just thought, how amazing, I really want to go. And my dad was like, why would somebody drive hundreds of miles to sit in a teacup? (laughs) I like him already. He didn't get it. And then I I became a child actor, and I stayed one until I was too hairy to be one. And then suddenly I was was doing toy commercials, and somebody said, we've got to shave your hands, Mm because it looks like a hobbit puts his hand into the camera. And then I lost everything, and I realized I was a punk. And just just a self-entitled punk. It was the greatest thing that ever happened. And I became a waiter. And I thought, you know what? I don't know how to wait tables, so I better act like I know what I'm doing. I better act like I work at Disneyland, so I'm so nice. Nobody can be mean to me. <laughs> and that's what I did. And I learned the power of service and the honor of service and that it comes back to you. And then after three years of acting like I worked at Disneyland, I get a call saying, hey, how'd you like to come to work at Disneyland? And... This is what I want people to know about service, is that it comes back to you. And uh, this is why an investment of yourself is an investment in yourself. And in these times where people are looking for new jobs and gigs, sooner or later we're going to serve somebody, no matter what we're selling or providing. And we need to know and embrace the honor of that service, just like I used to tell people on their first day at Disney, you know. You're going to go out and you're, you're, going to, you're going to create a memory that you won't even remember for somebody. It'll just pass you by and you'll forget that you did something that somebody will take a picture of and they'll never forget. And that's what I want people to realize, that to, to connect with what they've done for people and what they can do for people and through service. Just like we used to do at Disney. Right, absolutely. And as I say, the juxtaposition from Disney to most companies today is startling that customer service is very often the first thing people throw out. I'm talking to Louis Mm -hmm. Ravance. Service is a superpower. Lessons learned in a magic kingdom. It's a great read. It's a lot of fun. But you're also going to take away some, some messages that you'll really be able to use. I'm Raleigh James, and it's WGN Radio. Oh 
job nobody would want to have. Working in a coal mine, Lee Dorsey, 1966, on Amy. Got number five on the R&B charts, eight on the pop charts. Second biggest pop record he had behind Yaya. And just behind Get Out My Life, Woman on the R&B charts. And it was on this day, 54 years ago, that working in a coal mine first entered the Hot 100 charts. Lee was from New Orleans, boxed for a while as Kid Chocolate before singing, and Alan Toussaint wrote that and several of his other hits. I'm Raleigh James. It is WGN Radio. You can join us at 888-876-5593, 8888-RALEIGH. RJ is going to chime in here in a moment, but we're talking to Louis Gravance, and the book is Service is a Superpower, Lessons Learned in a Magic Kingdom. And so, Louis, I've been thinking about this since you told the story. What should you have done with that woman who fell down? Well, first of all, <laughs> I should have, the first, there is showmanship involved, and the first thing I should have done is make eye contact with woman, with the lady, and then let her know that she was safe is the first thing that I should have done. And then the next thing I should have done is communicate to everybody else around that she was safe, that they could move on to Space Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. Which is where, you know, a third of the people are headed once they drop that rope anyway. Right. So that, that's what I should have done. Well, you know, I've been wondering, but that makes all the sense in the world. See, that's why uh, you're good at this, and <laughs> clearly I'm not. I would have been one of the gawkers as well. I'd been that have been the entertainment for the morning. But well, and for some people it was, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's face it. But uh, yeah, Disney is is probably uber customer service compared to most anywhere else but unfortunately what used to be maybe acceptable customer service has come down to someone sold them that you can have voicemail and you can fire all your middle management secretaries or you don't need a receptionist anymore and i think today most people are on their last nerve largely because of the lack of customer service that's pervasive yeah, and part of that reason is that we don't know how to communicate. For example, if I people, I'm amazed when I go and speak to businesses. I'm amazed, for example, at how many small businesses, people that own small, tiny businesses, medium-sized businesses, never communicate to their employees what's in it for them. They never, and they don't engage them in, in their own story. I talk to these employees and they cannot tell me what the best day for that company was. They can't tell me what the worst day was. They can't tell me why that company was started. They can't tell me they're not engaged in the story at all. And plus, nobody has told them what's in it for them besides the money. Nobody's told them that excellence will always seek and find other excellence. And you can be waiting tables. You never know who you're waiting on. You never know who you're waiting on. And people who are excellent in any field will find people who are excellent in another field. And we're so sloppy with this because we don't honor service in this country the way we should. Well, we don't. I agree with that. On top of that, though, for many of these companies, you're looking at employees who now are doing the job of what used to be three people, and they're told, well, you're lucky to have a job. We had to let these other people go. That uh, part of it is that they, I don't even know, think they could elucidate the company message because basically they're worked to death. Well, this is then what I tell people because, yes, you're going to be overrun with tasks. So back up, back up. There's a difference between a task and a job. You know, um, when you're going to be a trainer at Disney, you've got to learn a lot of the tasks so, because you're going to be interfacing with these people. You know, there's, there's 65,000 employees at Walt Disney World doing all sorts of different kinds of things. And you've got to know about these things, and so you learn a lot of tasks. And one day I'm backstage making pizza with a lady who'd made pizza for 19 years, and I wasn't doing it as well as she thought I should. And she goes, uh-uh, 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 honey, uh-uh, baby. You got to get that cheese all the way around that pizza, even because if you don't, it ain't going to be good show for my guests. Right. I love she that She knew story. the difference between her task and her job, and that's the first thing we have to do as individuals. We have to say, yeah, these are the tasks that I'm performing. Well, what's the job? What's the emotional component of what I'm giving? And can I bring that to another company? Can I bring that to my own company? 
What, you know what? What I want people to do is exactly what big businesses do. If you're an individual, you should, you should know the tricks and you should follow the same guidelines that a business does to set themselves up for success. And I just wanted to provide individuals what we at the Disney Institute used to provide Fortune 500 companies. Like, what do I do if I have three employees and I want to deliver great customer service? How do I inspire my employee? Why should they give a damn you know how do i get them to invest with me while i was reading that it occurred to me that there's a great opportunity at this point for small businesses for individuals to excel because so many large businesses uh maybe unwittingly but uh largely for cost reasons have basically given up this arena when they immediately outsource everything to a foreign country where people are talking to people that swear they're talking english but we in america know they're not yep. and, you know and so forth i mean uh it's uh, uh you know it's a disaster and I've talked to people who are literally on their last nerve just because they tried to make a call to their credit card company, for instance, or you know, things like this. And that's really where we are right now. You know, I had a friend the other day say, I used to have all sorts of time. Now I have almost no time. I don't know where my time went. And, uh, you know, she was also extolling some things, some customer service horror stories about this. And I said, how long did you spend on the phone trying to straighten that out? She said, oh, God, it was five phone calls and two hours later. There went your time. Because used to be, for instance, you mentioned banks, you'd go to the bank and the gal behind the desk would, oh, I see that problem, let me fix it. But now you go through 20 minutes of, of prompts, and I swear that's not much of an exaggeration. I, there's one, uh, one of my banks, is Scotia Bank in Canada, and I, I swear I had to call them today. It's the first time I ever went through six different complete menus. And by the way, I never got a person. You never got in the whole time. You yeah, ne- you couldn't yeah. really not. No, I didn't get a person. Uh, but okay, I, okay. I got and, voice and think about mail. this. The phone didn't know that you're a radio personality. Well, no, of this course is exactly not. what I'm talking about. You never know who you're serving. So, uh, in other words, one moment of bad service. How many thousands of people right now are hearing that story? You know, because oh, of one single moment. One one moment of what we used to call at Disney, bad show. The difference right. between good show and bad show. Right. But you know what the good news, Raleigh, is it works the other way, too. Absolutely it does. And that's where we're going we're gonna to pick it up. So if RJ will hang on, there's room for him and for you as well at 888-876-5593. Service is a superpower. And I think what you're going to find out, other than the fact that Louie is a lot of fun, is that this can give you a competitive edge, especially now when no one else, for the most part, in terms of major companies. Uh, by the way, calling that bank, it was because they sent me checks and they were incorrect. To get those checks was six phone calls in Four provinces. I kid you. Not, I kid you not. Finally, I just uh, I just said to my husband, "Do you think we can use them anyway?" And he's, "Oh, sure. Go ahead. The account number's right. Doesn't matter what it says on them." So yeah, customer disservice at its finest. I'm Raleigh James, and it's WGN Radio. You ain't nothing but a hound. Thornton, 1952 on Peacock, with Kansas City Bill and his orchestra on Don Roby's Houston label. Yeah, Peacock is what he had there. Lieber Stoller wrote it, along with Johnny Otis. Went to number three on the R&B charts in 1953. It was a hit. It was on this day 68 years ago that Big Mama Thornton recorded it. It launched Lieber and Stoller's career. Now, three years after it hit, Elvis covered it. And 
I've always wondered, how is it that Elvis becomes a superstar and yet Pat Boone is covering Fats Domino and he's demonized? Not that I wanted to hear Pat Boone records, don't get me wrong, but if we're talking about white covers of R&B, yeah, he wasn't the first, that's for sure. Elvis was somewhat infamous for it. And Herman Lubinsky, who owned Savoy Records back in the day, declared that any white wanting to cover one of Savoy's R&B songs had to obtain permission from the copyright office. Well, of course, you know, that lasted a picosecond. We're talking about service. Service is a superpower. Lessons learned in a magic kingdom. Louis Gravance is my guest, and I could hog him all night. And uh, with that in mind, I guess I guess I will uh, turn it over to a couple people who want to talk to you. Mark in Aurora, welcome to WGN Radio. Yes, good evening. I have... A story to tell which is related to service, it's, it comes under the heading of what I call the philosophy of underling wisdom. And an example of that would be if you've, uh, if you've been through uh, more than one hospitalization, you'll get a sense that sometimes nurses know things that doctors don't know, even though they are the underlings who have to answer to the doctors. And uh, I... Um, I went through an incident where I was rushing to a train in downtown Chicago, and I managed to go careening down a staircase, which was concrete, and I sustained four fractures. And I was hospitalized uh, at Northwestern, and uh, I was, uh, you know, checked by a doctor in the usual way and also attended to by nurses. And... um, then uh, after the hospitalization, I was advised to go and see a bone specialist in my own town uh, eight weeks later. And I, uh, in, in the course of all this, I called the hospital and spoke with a nurse, and I told her I was taking nutritional supplements uh, to help my bones heal, namely magnesium, potassium, and calcium, and she said, well, I'm really glad you're doing that, but I'll bet it wasn't your doctor who recommended that. And I said, well, no, in fact, it was a couple of friends. And she said, well, you just keep taking those, and I'm sure they'll do you a lot of good. And I was thinking to tell my doctor that, hey, you know, this nurse said uh, it would be good if I took these supplements, and I I decided against it because I decided that if this doctor doesn't believe in alternative medicine, I could get this nurse in trouble. So I kept silent, but I went to the bone specialist after eight weeks as advised, and he said, well, I could schedule another appointment for you, but you really don't need one. Your bones have healed faster than any other patient I've ever seen. And uh, they're just fine. You're not going to need another appointment unless you really want one. And the point of my story is that here was a case in which the nurse or a nurse knew about an alternative that my doctor apparently hadn't even considered because that doctor did not tell me at all, if you take some calcium and magnesium and potassium, your bones are going to heal a lot faster and better. And it was, a, it was a nurse from whom I really got the wisdom I needed and had already gotten from two friends who weren't even medical people. What's interesting to me about your story is that your hesitation, and I think it was well-placed in saying, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything, could get her in trouble. And, Louie, I, I have a feeling that that's probably an issue with a lot of employees who want to take an extra step, but maybe it's not in the handbook. Right, and not as brave as the nurse Mark just isolated and identified who used one of the ten skills of the service superhero, and that is listening. It may not be that she knew something that a doctor didn't know, but she used one of the key skills, listening. Some, something else that we're not good and we don't think about as a, as, a, as a skill of service is the service of actually not talking and letting the customer or the patient actually tell you and listen. That's a great skill. And, uh, you know, 
that he just pointed out that's one of the ten skills of the service superhero is listening, serving by just, pardon me, but shutting up and listening mm-hmm. <laughs> for a second. You know, and right. that was your problem. You. you needed somebody to listen to you, Raleigh, today. That's what oh. you were, that, you know, well, that was the skill that you were needing, too. I just wanted a person. You see, that that's the thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, finally, after a while, f- after a few hours, I persevered and, and got somebody who was just absolutely pleasant, and, and that was fine. But uh, the, the point is that it seems that it is now the norm that the companies are geared to keep you from that one-on-one interaction. All the menu prompts, it's basically, can't you do it online? Can't you do this? Mm-hmm. Can't, can't you uh, punch seven digits and we'll give you the answer? It's all set up to cause you to avoid that interaction. Well, they're training us to and serve them. See, we got to remember who's serving who problem. here, you know. Yeah. I'm sorry, Mark, you said? Oh, yeah. These were my elbows and my wrists, and except for occasional pain initially from changes in the weather, they have given me no trouble for years, and they have behaved Excellent. as though they were completely healed. Well, I'm glad it worked out, and thank you for calling. Thank you. All right. So, uh, uh, yeah, uh, in terms of, uh, you're right, uh, Louis, that, that nurse was, was brave. But how often is it that work situations are, rather than rewarding people for taking that extra step, are harnessing them and saying, well, that wasn't in the manual? Well, and right now, too, um, the language that we use at work is so, so important and is being scrutinized like never before. Uh, that's one of the other skills of the service superhero is is knowing how to use language and 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 um, effectively and communicating effectively and 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 saying what you mean and how many times do you listen to somebody and I think you pointed out earlier you can tell that they're scripted oh, yeah. you can tell that you've prompted them to one point in the script well and worse worse yet they're not allowed to vary it uh you know certain disclaimers like for instance if you're changing a service on a credit card or something uh you know they'll they'll start in on their script and I'll say yeah I got it no 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 I have to read this to you I mean they basically will be fired if they don't read it verbatim and so yeah. and I understand that for legal reasons but you come away with uh, with a bad customer service experience is the bottom line and then you hear about a company like Ritz Carlton where every single employee in that hotel they can go up to 500 bucks to solve a problem no questions asked That's they great. don't you just no questions asked i remember one time i uh was staying to do a talk and the, the iron burned a piece of my clothing it stained mm. it mm. and i had to do a talk at 7 a.m. the next morning the person that was the head of that floor was authorized to make sure that i had a brand new shirt there in the morning pressed on a hanger ready to go they didn't have to go to anybody. That's one of the ways you can tell if a company's really willing to give guest service is if the frontline employees are empowered to do it. Absolutely. And those kind of things, like you say, you're telling the story now, and I've told it many times, I'm sure, and it was worth every dime they spent on that shirt many times over, yet you have so many companies where this is completely elusive. We are talking with Louis Gravant, Services of Superpower, Lessons Learned in a Magic Kingdom. I hope you'll join us, 888-876-5593, that's 8888-R-O-L-L-Y-E. I'm Raleigh James, it's WGN Radio. It's Richard Berry. No, 
1960 on Flip. Of course it was Uncharted. He wrote and recorded the original Louie Louie, which was a rip from Rene Touzette, which we played. It took about 50 years to get those Louie Louie royalties. Obviously, Have Love, Will Travel was a takeoff on the CBS Western Have Gun, Will Travel, which was popular at the time. Everybody from Bruce Geller to Gene Roddenberry wrote episodes of that. Richard Boone starred as Paladin. Yes. Have love, will travel. Yes, have service, you are going to succeed. It's that simple. Louis Gravant, service is a superpower. Lesson learned in a magic kingdom. I'm Raleigh James. It is WGN Radio, and you can join us. 888-876-5593. 888-R-O-L-L-Y-E. And talking to Louis. And by the way, the book, like I say, is fabulous. It's, it's a good read because it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I, uh, I absolutely thought that uh, Walt Disney was was in fact frozen and i learned from your book that no he's uh, in forest lawn and uh, that was that was an interesting legend as far as how that whole story came to be well yeah i got started because I knew he was uh, going to pass he was terminally ill and the joke was that he said you know i'd love it if they could freeze me so that they could bring me back in 10 years and i can fix whatever they do to epcot and um, and he looked into it, but and coincidentally, it was just a few months after Walt Disney died that they actually attempted to do it. I guess um, legitimately in California, but no, that Walt Disney is interned in Forest Lawn. Wow! And of course, 1966, when this happened, uh, the Walt Disney World wasn't yet even nearer reality in Florida. I, I was down there in the latter 60s, and I remember so well the individuals who didn't want to give the Walt Disney Company any tax breaks for this. They, you know, This mm-hmm. is while Orlando is a sleepy trailer court with uh, you know, mm-hmm. neon signs and railroad tracks, and, and literally there were a lot of people who were against this. Yeah, 45 square miles in the state of Florida. Yeah. 45, isn't that amazing? Twice the size of Manhattan is the size of the Walt Disney World property. Well, and it was on virtually useless land. That's the thing, because before this, anything that was in the quote-unquote interior, you know, people went to the East Coast, the Gold Coast, or they went to the Gulf, uh, but uh, to get somebody to come to the middle, what were you going to have? Wiki Wachi or something, you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, girls well, on it was swampland. Yes. I mean, and to this day, it's difficult oh. to build. People don't realize how difficult it is to build on that property. Because for all intent and purpose, it is swampland that has to be reinforced over and over. They joked that they got it for an aggregate price of $150 an acre because that's what it was worth. Because (laughs) it was literally 45 square miles of swamp. Absolutely. And that's the time when you were finally having the AG come down on companies that were selling waterfront property, which, of course, was nothing but swampland. And uh, mm-hmm. tons of people were uh, were taken on that. But the irony there is most of those areas that were considered worthless, like the uh, uh, like the Orlando land is uh, today. It's all developed and uh, really makes you wonder. Right. Well, you know, it was the you know this is Walt Disney was very smart. He saw where they were going to build a highway, and he saw where the highways were going to intersect, right. and he saw what was going to be the I four corridor, and uh, because they were going to do it at, at near the beach, no. you know, that's it was where they thought, and it was really brilliant. And the price had something to do with right. it. And to think to your point, to think about all the collusion that was sort of involved with with locals that kept it quiet. You know, while well, they 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 created dummy pro, uh, companies, which was buying this property, at, right. you know, two hundred three acre, hundred acre parcels at a time, and 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 literally it was one company. They didn't want they didn't want anybody to know that Disney was buying up all that property. Right. Right. It was a fascinating story. And, and you're right. I-4, of course, back then the Sunshine State Parkway, which became Florida's Turnpike, mm-hmm. and the Beeline. So you had, right. uh, you had a, a lot that were going there. But again, prior to Walt Disney World, there was virtually no reason to go. I, I can't think of one reason to go to Orlando. And uh, it literally changed, uh, changed the scope of Central Florida and to this, uh, to this day. And RJ... Well, the funny thing... Go ahead. Yeah. Is that, to your point, is that it's not really a temperate, I mean, it's (laughs) hotter than Hades most of the year, it rains a lot of the time, it's... When you, it's always sort of a joke to me that somebody decided that this was going to be a vacation kingdom, <laughs> where 
it's 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 uncomfortable most of the year. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, when you think about that, the Volca Ray, the French Quarter in Las Vegas, I mean, if anything, the humidity is even higher there. And, uh, uh-huh. you know, so, and of course, uh, for years, people retired in St. Petersburg and Clearwater and, uh, you know, the humidity oppressive there. So it seems some people like you, Louie, are hardy. You can, you can tolerate this because uh, you're still down in South Florida, well, in Central Florida, aren't you? Yeah, and I've lived here in Hawaii. Yeah. And and Palm Desert. So see I only do hot. I don't know I could I see I couldn't do what you do. You're actually the hardy one. I couldn't I couldn't do the season thing. I, I, I have great respect. Well, yeah, but you see, the difference is, in the winter, you can put on clothes. In the summer, there's yeah. only so much you can take off. <laughs> yeah, but I, no, if you're, I'm never comfortable. I, I, when, I just don't. When, I was in a snow thing uh, last year where we were actually, we had to stay in the hotel for 48 hours. And I had never seen snow cover a car in my i'd never i i thought this was just in christmas cards i didn't i didn't realize this was really a thing yeah yeah well you wouldn't you know unless you because you were you grew up what like southern california well i uh, yes after um just being a, i lived in an agricultural community as a really small boy but yes for the most part i've just lived in warm Climate. Right, so unless so you drove up to you're Big Bear. You're hardier of the yeah. uh, well, really. Yeah, well, I don't know about that, but RJ is in New York. Welcome. Good good evening, Raleigh. Good evening, Mr. Gravance. Hello. Thank you very much for being with us tonight, uh, for all of us on the radio. It's just, uh, just a great, great topic and most certainly a, a great book. And also, thank, thank you. you for celebrating the art and the the empowerment and the teamwork involved in serving the guest. It's a, just it's such great goodwill and motivation and sincerity and, and just so many great ingredients go into really creating priceless experiences for people. And I was curious what your thoughts um, perhaps from both of you uh, might be regarding the implementation and the changes in the way that we talk to people and engage with people uh, because of the technology, the technological changes, uh, the shortening of sentences down into text phrasing and uh, not necessarily, like you say, having that one-on-one connection uh, all the time like we used to. Uh, and then when we do have it, the great things that can come out of it from uh, great experiences that can be created. I can't wait to, to, to read the book, and I want to thank you thank both you. for being here tonight. It's a wonderful topic. Well, thanks, oh, RJ. Christmas. It's good to hear from you. Appreciate the call. Oh, thank you thank so you. very much. All thank right. you, and I'll be happy to listen if that's okay. Absolutely. Off the air. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. You too. What he points out is that we forget that technology is a, is a means to an end and not the end. And I hate to sound like an old man, but when I look at, you know, eight-year-old kids that are already addicted to that screen in their hand. Oh, yeah. I want to, I, you know, they're not my kids, but and it's real easy to say when they're not your kids. But I, I don't, this is going to be, you know, I, <clears throat> there was a kid the other day, um, one of my friends, uh, and they were getting something uh, delivered. They said, this is great. See, I don't even have to actually talk to a person. And, uh, you know, what, uh, I'm afraid that we're going to have, you know, socially stunted kids that don't know how to talk you know they don't know how to pick up a phone and speak to each other because they're they're um you know it's uh, again i'm right, sounding like right. an old man no, and you know what maybe this shared context that we're having right now think about all the families that are finally stuck with each other having to talk to each other for the first time maybe that will be one of the positive byproducts of this that we we actually have to speak to each other 
It'll be interesting to see because, of course, you you mentioned cell phones, for instance, uh, and yes, nobody is uh, nobody is talking anymore. That's why it's unlimited talk. They're metering data because everybody is texting, and there, there's nothing mm-hmm. like seeing a family of six out to dinner. And I know you've seen it too. It's impossible to mm-hmm. miss where all of them are on the phones. They're they're mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. even looking at each other. So uh, you know, it's a uh, it's it's a different world that way. And I think that we are you know I think the whole digital revolution is probably the biggest societal change since the invention of the wheel. And well, you know, I was working at Disney when the phone showed up, uh-huh. when, when they had taken such pride in keeping the outside world out of the parks. And if you ever heard anybody paged, which was almost never at one of those parks, that meant somebody had passed away, and it was that serious. Right. So they kept everything out. And then when the phone started showing up, and again, I was there at the time. What we thought we'd do is make it impossible to use. We made it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, it, we thought this is the way out. And then the, the angle went, well, if you can't beat them, join them. So now we went, they went to the other extreme where the phone became a necessity mm. for the experience mm. as it is now. You've got to have that app and you, and the, the guests are starting to balk back. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and you're right. The phones have become a necessity, and uh, that's, that's offensive to me on so many levels. Uh, but even more so when you use them and can't get a human being. And I think that's what yeah. James, James in Chicago has to say. So, James, welcome to WGN Radio. Uh, thank you, Larry. You have a great show. I was a great guest. Okay. I, 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 I got a few examples, but I'm going to stick with one. Except especially, uh, uh, one time I was calling AT more than once at AT and T, and I said, "Well, there's I had there, there was something about my service that I want," and they said, and they had this automated thing. And I kept saying, uh, and they kept mispronouncing whatever it was I was saying. I'm like thinking, um, uh, "Well, just give me a real, uh, uh, give me a customer service," and then. <laughs> They couldn't, okay? They kept on, more than once, they just simply hung up. Well, the automated systems, I know. How how many adults have actually held a phone in their hand and screamed, operator, 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 agent, agent, Mm -hmm. agent, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, yeah. Oh, a lot. Yeah. And and Mm -hmm. Sears is a notorious one, too. Oh, let's not. And now that they are, like, only... Uh, they're not even half the man they used to be. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, you know what you do then, James? You know what you do? Because I've found that this is what really, if you can't get anybody like that, and if I don't know if you know how to use Twitter or, or if you're uh, a Facebook no, user, a I find person. if you go on their page and tell them let, so that everybody can see the issue you're having, or go on their Twitter feed and say, look, I'm trying to get a hold of somebody, and this is happening, and this is who I am, You'll be amazed at how fast somebody will get in touch with you. Oh, that's a great Mark idea. in public. That's a great idea. And I know, James, you're like me. You're a Luddite. But, uh, but yeah, sometimes if you can't uh, beat them, join them. Use their own stuff, their own pages to uh, make your yep. feelings known. All right, James. Yep. Thanks oh, for calling. The worst thing. Oh, let me not talk about the postal service how oh. many times. They, I, let's not talk about what's happened there. I've, yeah. How many times I've called for different things about that. There's including one thing that's been misdirected. Who knows where it's gone now? You're not alone yeah. in that. I know that was Rose's topic this afternoon, and uh, there are some people in Chicago who haven't had mail in over a week. So, all right, James, oh. thanks for calling. Appreciate okay, it. you're welcome. All right. Okay, have a good day. You too. Bye. We'll get to Doc in Missouri here in moments, as soon as I can negotiate this. Doc, welcome to WGN. Hey, Raleigh. Hey, Doc. Hey, Raleigh and Louie. Uh, great conversation. Uh, I have a comment Thank about you. service, but first I want to admit that back when I was single, I spent two years as a professional mystery shopper, uh-huh. and I worked for a company that was shopping several thousand Kentucky Fried Chickens around the United States. Oh. And I used to... For two years, I would travel 12 to 14,000 miles a month, bought chicken 300 times. I'd be in 10 or 12 states. And my favorite story is I was in DuCoin, Illinois, waiting the minute or minute and a half for my food. And the two customer service workers are talking behind the counter, and this girl tells her friend, she goes, 
I got to find a new job. I mean, five months is long enough to work in a dump like this. Ooh. And I look over and I go, you know, Penelope, I think you're going to get that career adjustment you've been wanting. Ooh. But my comment on dump service, I manage pizza restaurants, too, and I've had a lot of young people work for me. And I would just say we don't value the dignity of work like we should. But one of right. the things i found with young people, before you can get them to focus on teamwork and, and understanding the whole concept, I really had to work on people with posture. You see, you had to, and working alongside these people, constantly paying attention and reinforcing it, but you had to say, stand up, get your chin up in the air. You're not going to have eye contact with your coworkers and your managers and the customers without being able to look them in the eye. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, the most I ever had was about 25 people on the clock at once, but it becomes noticeable. And then you can get them to focus. I mean, I'm a firm believer in management by objectives and teaching people their job according to an established standard. But a lot of these young people, it's their first job, a lot of older people. I'm going to a government office and look at the posture on people. Uh-huh. But that, yeah. that's my comment. All right. Well, I'm yeah. glad you called, Doc. Thank you. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, at Disney, we didn't allow leaning. You couldn't right. lean. Oh, that was one of the things. No, that was what, no gum chewing. And no leaning, and no eating or drinking in front of a guest. So that's why to this day, if I'm invited to speak at a luncheon, I feel ridiculous eating in front of people. Oh, right, exactly. Well, and just your luck, the spinach would be between your teeth. You know, I mean, it comes down to that. That's the two things the speaker is worried about. Something in the teeth and your zipper down are the two things that are... (laughs) That amount that and at at this point both have happened to me once. Oh, so those are the <laughs> that's great. That's great. All right, we'll get to Jim and Southside. There's room for you too. Eight 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 seven six five five nine three. I'm talking to Louis Gravance, who is the author of Service Is a Superpower: Lessons Learned in a Magic Kingdom, and it's a great book. And as I say, you will come away with some tips that are going to make a difference to you. It uh, it might not be right away, and it might not even be on the job, but it's going to pay off. I'm Raleigh James, and it's WGN Radio. that's bit the dust, hasn't it? That's what I get for putting my 45s on the computer. Shirley Walls, why am I crying? 1967, King out of Cincinnati, but Shirley was a Chicago teen. She was actually a gospel singer later. She was making demos for a friend. And one of them was, why am I crying? And Bunky Shepard had heard it, and he was so bowled over by her performance, he had to record it. And he leased the record to King, and it was a local hit. Uh, later, she worked with Joe Armstead, and after that, she was briefly in New Rotary Connection. But uh, as far as as far as forty fives, why am I crying? Shirley Walls, that was that was it. We're talking to Louis Gravance, author of Service Is a Superpower: Lessons Learned in a Magic Kingdom, and uh, we'll get to Jim in the South Side. There's room for you too at eight 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 seven six five five nine three. It's eighty eight eighty eight Raleigh on WGN Radio. But one of the things that stood out in your book, in fact, you've got it as a subchapter. You don't get paid for working. And I thought, boy, isn't, isn't that the truth? Mm-hmm. No, nobody gets paid by virtue of how hard they work. They get paid by virtue of what they know and what they believe. Because we all know people that work real hard and don't come home with very much for it. Nobody's paid by virtue of how hard they work. Eventually, you're paid by, virtually, by virtue of what you know. And what, and what you believe. And in service, you have to do what you don't have to do. You know, and you provided it tonight. To, for example, 
<laughs> yeah, I always say, okay, in service, if you're gonna if you're gonna succeed, you got to do what you don't. You have to do what you don't have to do. I've done twenty of these shows, and you're one of only two people that actually familiarized yourself with the book. You actually prepared for the interview. You knew how. To, you know what I mean. You actually set the context, and because of that, it set me up better, and and it, it's a better experience for everybody. You didn't have to do that. Most people don't do that, and I just want people to know that that's that's an example of providing service, doing what you don't have to do. Well, actually, it's interesting because uh, producer Jasmine, who puts up with me, and she's just wonderful, she'll send me a bunch of ideas, and most of, most of them I'll reject. I won't have somebody on unless I want to read their book, that I actually have an interest in it. And so uh, I start from the premise of that this interests me, and if it, right. uh, if it didn't interest me, then why would I be doing it? And so, uh, you know, I look at this as, this is a great job, I get free books, because these are the kind of things that I would, I would pay for. And if I don't feel mm-hmm. that way about a subject then I'll, I'll just pass. And uh, Jasmine even said that, you know, you're, you're the first host who reads the books. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, uh, if I don't feel that strongly about it, why am I wasting anybody's time talking about it? And uh, I think this right. is... Right. Uh, but it aims your questions. I mean, just, yeah. again, you just, you've proven my point about service, about going an extra mile and doing something you didn't have to do. Yeah, but you know, again, that's uh, t- to me that's that's what makes talk radio good. You know, when when a host is involved, period, mm-hmm. and and part of that mm-hmm. is yes, they're giving service, but part of that should just be genetic to their DNA that they're genuinely interested. You know, right. so uh, it, it's the kind of thing where you say they pay me for this. You know, so right. uh, and and you know, you've you've demonstrated that a lot in in your career as well. You you are immersed in it. I mean, part of it is because yes, you learned early on the value of service, but part of it is that you're you're doing what you love to do. Right, right, and I want people to know that all that is given. This is also to answer your question. All that is given is ultimately given to yourself in any service moment, whether you can see it at that moment or not, all that is given, every investment you make is an investment in yourself. Even if you deal with a customer that is horrible to you, you have still set an intention. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and sadly, that's, uh, that's so seldom demonstrated anymore. And a lot of that also comes from the top down. I mean, Disney is a terrific place that is uh, start to finish focused on that. But far too many organizations these days think that uh, that's an expense they just don't have to have to bother with. Jim is in Southside. Welcome to WGN Radio. Hello, Jim. I'm uh, recovering from that tough Blackhawk loss. Oh, I know. It went into overtime, too. It did. Yeah, I know. I I know they were teasing us. I heard you playing uh, Have Love Will Travel by Richard Berry. Reminded me of Pretty Girls Everywhere by Eugene Church. Absolutely. So that's what you want to hear? I'd like to hear it. Thank you very much. You betcha. I'll play it for you. All right. So, yes, in the middle of all this, I'm always happy to take requests as long as they're (laughs) R&B, just my stuff. uh, Do you consider Gene Pitney R&B? No. But... Okay. Uh, I, uh, I I like a lot of Gene Pitney stuff, and by the way, he he did love R and B, uh, but no, he actually started out in country. You know, he used to do duets with uh, with Melvin right. Montgomery and George Jones, and they were on Music Corps mm-hmm. back in the day, and they were these these you know gut bucket country records. And uh, mm-hmm. then, but no, he was he was terrific and a, a good songwriter as well. Wrote uh, wrote a lot of things. Uh, he's a rebel mm-hmm. and, and so much more. So I have all the respect in the world, but no, I would. And put him down as R and B. Is he one of your favorites? Okay. Is he one of your favorites? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 What, what's your favorite by him? See, I love all the. Old, I, I, I love. Uh, oh my God! I love Town Without Pity. Yeah. You know, but that's like even later on. I know, and I love uh, Liberty Valance. A man of shot. But I like even yeah. some of the younger stuff that are really uh, kind of real ballady. The real. The, the real. Um, Heartstring. You know, in the 50s at that point, men could do torch songs. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. There was a period there where men did these sort of, tor- you know, songs like Cry and, you know, the Cloud, oh, the Cry. Well, you know, Johnny, Ray, Johnny Ray. The yeah. Johnny Ray. Right, example. Men, could, you know, men at that point, they, they were doing these sort of real gut-wrenching torch songs, and, and I'm fascinated by that. And he could, he could do that and be cool. 
Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the 50s, and that was such a, a decade that had a real schism because the early 50s was all the pop standards, uh, the outgrowth mm-hmm. of big band, and so many of the torch singers. And then, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it went it went balls to the wall right into rock and roll. So any any time I hear somebody say I'm playing 50s, I'm like, well, which half? You know, because right, 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 right. Huh. Uh, so different, but that's why few hosts were able to span that, and few disc jockeys as well were able to really, really span that. But yeah, I think the first thing he charted with uh, that Wadden Country was "I Want to Love My Life Away," and uh, I, I liked that. But I always laugh at some of his stuff, like Mecca. And <laughs> actually, I, I love that and yeah. Golden Rings. Yeah. I think and and uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, all that really over the top drama stuff. I, oh, I, oh, I, yeah. I love that. True love never runs smooth. Yeah. Nah. 24 hours from Tulsa, right there. That's, that's a, a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. a soap opera in a song. So, uh-huh. so sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he, was, he was really mostly, mostly pre-Beatles, but then he came back in the, in the mid-60s, I guess, 67 or so, with Heartbreaker, which uh, did very well. And Liberty Valance is also well. one of his, I think, last. Well, Liberty Valance is a little earlier, I think. But uh, I'm going to be strong. The movie was in the sixth Liberty. Well, I could be wrong, but yeah. Yeah, I I think that was a little earlier. But yeah, uh, a lot of good stuff. A lot of fun on that. And uh, yeah, well, if you were in L.A. growing up, well, you certainly heard that on KFWB all Mm -hmm. the time. Yeah, and then KRLA. Till they went all British invasion. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. So. Here we are at a time when, thanks to leverage buyouts of the 80s to today, people, when I say people, companies, large companies, are more in debt than ever. They're more bottom line focused than ever. And most of the big ones, we know all about their customer disservice, particularly if it's a utility like a, like a Comcast or a, you know cable or broadband or what, what have you, things like that. They always get the worst customer service marks and in some cases are very deserving. But as you look around and you've worked for some of these people like B of A and such, is there anybody who's a giant who actually cares, really cares about customer service these days? Okay, I'm going to tell you something that's going to shock you. I'm ready. <laughs> or it may not. I'm ready. Okay, so, all right. I know they get a bad rap, and I, and I had a toot, all right? So I, I go, and I'm recently asked to go speak, uh, oh, this is a while back, at, at a Walmart convention, but particularly the, the huge division was the, the grocery, you know, where they bring the groceries mm-hmm. to the car. And I see the film of like how they're creating cars, all the ways that they're trying to get into this business. But what fascinated me was listening to the candor of their leaders talk about how they had not been good enough neighbors in the city and talking about how they were going to have to take responsibility for the good and the bad of that brand. Now, this wasn't in front of anybody. Right. This was just between them. And then not only that, then they went on and on, and they started quoting uh, the family and the, and the founders, and they were very upfront about where they were in the world and what they were going to have to do to personalize their service to regain trust in the towns and cities where they had not been good neighbors. And I, I think that's, I'm wondering if this is a dawn of enlightenment for other companies that size. Wouldn't that be great? And then they can move on to how they put people out of business with their policies and everything else. But no, that's a that's a heck of a start. I'm glad to glad to hear it. 888-876-5593 is 8888-R-O-L-L-Y-E. I'm Rodley James, and it's WGN Radio. Ah. Everywhere I go, there's a pretty girl there. I see a pretty Pretty girl there. 
That's Jim's request. Eugene Church, Pretty Girls Everywhere, on Class in 1958. Got to number six on the R&B charts and 36 on the pop charts. That was Eugene Church and the Fellows, and a couple of the Fellows were Gaynell Hodge and Jesse Belvin. And in fact, uh, Eugene Church had been in the cliques with Jesse Belvin prior to that. Follow-up to that was Miami in 1959, and then Mind Your Own Business, and that was it for chart action, but a, but a lot of good songs. It is WGN Radio. I am Raleigh James, and the book is terrific. Terrific, and I guarantee you, uh, you'll enjoy reading it. But not only that, you'll take something away from this. Louis Gravance, author of Service is a Superpower, Lessons Learned in a Magic Kingdom, is my guest. And I was looking at the uh, the, the kind of immutables, if you uh, if you will. And uh, I, Louis, I was going down the list, like make consistent eye contact, yes, and no eating and drinking and all that. And I got to the fastest way to drive someone out of your store is to say, may I help you? And something yes. something resonated with me, but I'm not sure why that's offensive. So what's the deal with may I help you? Okay, it's not that it's offensive, but what you're doing at that moment is you're, you're, uh, you're creating a line to cross, basically. You're, you're basically saying you have to decide right now what kind of interaction this is going no, to be. That's great. I've just crossed a line, by the way, and that's uh, a testament to how interesting you are. I've, uh, I've almost blown the break. We're out of time. Uh, hopefully we can do it again, and good luck with the book. Thank you so much for being gracious. Absolutely. It's, it's wonderful, and it's easy to be gracious. And-